Genesis 37, starting in verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. This story has uh, a couple of people that I want to, to, to focus on. Um, obviously, it's a story about Joseph. But, but Joseph is um, pretty passive in this story, uh, beyond the fact that he's an obedient son, who does as his father has told him to do and goes to find his brothers, 
he doesn't have a whole lot to say, doesn't have a lot of chance to say anything, um, and he becomes the object of some treachery within his own family. Um, the the other the other players here that I want to that I want to look at more carefully, perhaps, um, are his father Jacob and his older brother Reuben. They Jacob certainly has a lot to do with this story. He's raised this family. He's trained, or maybe not so much, his sons to be what they are. Uh, and his life certainly has, I'll use a Reagan-esque, trickled down into their lives. Right? And, uh, and they, have, they have learned from him. So let's take a look at, at, at Jacob, and then we'll take a look at Reuben, the eldest of Jacob. And we're going to compare and contrast these, these men, and then we'll get to, to Joseph. And we'll see how he fits into various patterns that maybe we can discern. Jacob, if you recall, is a man of great desire. Uh, when he was a young man, his desire, we found out in the story, was to have the blessing and to receive the inheritance. And he really wanted it. So much so that he tested the waters by asking his brother to sell it to him for a pot of stew. And his brother said, okay. His brother obviously wasn't interested, Esau. And Jacob takes this as a, as a sign that, uh, okay, my brother doesn't want this inheritance. Maybe there's some way that I can acquire it. And you know the story. He, through deception, he acquires the blessing. His mother kind of fills his head with ideas. But he doesn't object. He takes he takes the uh, takes the blessing by deception, and and then even after Isaac knows that he's been deceived, it always fascinates me. He doesn't withdraw the blessing. He doesn't even criticize Jacob. He just says, "Don't take a wife from these Ishmaelite people around us. Go back to your mother's brother and marry from that family." And Jacob is a, a, a dutiful son. He goes, and he meets God. And God gives him a blessing and says, I will be with you where you go. And this happens in Bethel. And Jacob is a man of desire. And as soon as he comes to this new land, he finds the next object of his desire. And at his age, that's quite naturally a young woman. And that's what his parents sent him there for. And so things are working out. He finds finds Rachel, and he falls in love, and he wants, to, he wants to have her for himself. And he works hard to acquire his desire. And he makes a, makes a deal. He, has, he doesn't have a lot of property. He ran away kind of on short notice, didn't have a lot of cash he was carrying, no bride price he could pay. All right, I'll work for you for seven years, and we'll, we'll, we'll do this deal. And so Jacob works his time. And in the working of that time, he has a certain sense of entitlement. He's entitled to his pay at the end of the seven years. And the pay is the woman, his wife. He pursued her, worked hard, and now it's time to receive his pay, to put it crassly. And he's deceived. We know the story. Um, he doesn't get the woman he worked for, and he is what he was entitled to. I mean, it's a biblical principle. The worker is worth his wages. 
That, that's a biblical principle. He had every right to feel entitled to receive what he had bargained for, the pay that he had uh, contracted for. And yet he is deceived. And he ends up with Leah. And then he's told, you can have Rachel if you work another seven years, and he agrees to do that. He's a hard-working man. Isaac raised him well. He knows, how to, he knows how to work hard. That's a good thing. Nothing wrong with that at all. He's a persevering soul. He doesn't give up when the going gets tough. He hangs in there, and he works his 14 years and starts acquiring property for himself and his family. He's got, now he's got a large family. But there's a problem. Jacob really only wanted one wife. That's a good thing. We know that's a biblical idea. But he ends up with more than he bargained for. And all these other kids as well. he got a lot of mouths to feed now. So he's, he's, he's a good father. He wants to provide for his family, and he's concerned about that. So he does. And he works, his, works hard, and he starts to notice that Laban is treating him differently. Things aren't working out so well. He keeps changing my wages. And then God comes to him and says, look, you've got to get out of here. Go back home. Extricate yourself from this situation. I'm the God who met you at Bethel, and I'm telling you, get out. So he, he makes his plans. Jacob is a planner. He's also a schemer. And those two can look very similar. Right? A planner looks down the road, sees where he wants to go, and figures out the steps that are going to get him there. That's a good thing. You can read that in Proverbs. Right? That, that's wisdom. Nothing wrong with that. Scheming looks the same way. You see what you want. You make a plan to get it. The problem is that the schemer wants something that he shouldn't get. It's not his. It's not his by right. Shouldn't have it. Scheming means you've got the wrong goal in view, but you're going to make your plan to get it anyway. That's the difference between scheming and planning. Jacob does a little bit of both at times. Sometimes he schemes, sometimes he plans. It's hard to, it's hard to figure sometimes. You have to read the, read the stories carefully. Providing for his family, planning to get Rachel. Those are all plans. Those are not scheming. Rachel was available. Nothing wrong with wanting a wife. Acquiring property, that's a good thing. You want to provide for your family. You want to develop some, some uh, resources. Good thing. Going back to Mediso. Planning or scheming. Eh, that one's a toss-up. Well, let's put it this way. At the moment when Jacob comes back home and he hears that Esau's on his way, he plans. I, I'm going to call it planning. He plans. Because he's, he's facing his end. Big brother, big, hairy, strong, hunter, Esau brother, mad at me last time we saw each other, right, is coming with 400 buddies to welcome me back home with open arms before he breaks my neck, right? And so he plans, all right, I'm going to send out gifts, just gift after gift, kids and wives, just going to keep on doing this, and hopefully we can soften him up a little bit, okay? I, I think Jacob came to the end of himself. 
He plans and does all that he can do, but he knows in his heart of heart he's not entitled to live. His life was forfeit when he stole the blessing from his brother. And he knows it. And he's been able to forget about it for a while because he's been busy having kids and wives and working hard. But now he's got to come face to face with the fact that he does, he's not entitled to live anymore. His brother has every right to take his life. And when he comes to that evening alone on the side of the Jabbok, somebody grabs him in the middle of the night. And he wrestles. Now, there are two ways you can handle the realization that your life is forfeit. And different people respond differently. You hear it in, in military stories. Different people respond to the fact that they could very easily lose their life today. One way to respond to that kind of situation <clears throat> is to fall into despair, to just, to just crumble under the pressure, and to just fall apart and not be able to engage in the battle, if you will. Military stories all the time. The, uh, you saw the movie Patton, right? The private sniveling in the tent because he's shell-shocked, and Patton slaps with the gloves, gets in all kinds of trouble for it, right? The, kid, the kid's just scared to death and he can't muster the courage to, to engage in the battle. That, that's not a good response to that kind of pressure. You'd really rather have somebody who says, you know, I may go out, but I'm going to take a few with me. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down swinging. Well, there's Jacob wrestling on the Jabbok. He th he's got to think this is his big brother wrestling with him. With 400 guys in a circle watching. So that no matter what happens, he's, he's toast. He's done. But he doesn't give up in despair. He, he wrestles all night long. He's not a quitter. Jacob's not a quitter. He's a persevering soul. And he wrestles, and he finds out that he's been wrestling all night with God. He changes his name. He receives the blessing. And he gets his life. God spares his life. Esau doesn't kill him. God doesn't kill him. Right? So he's, he's doing well. But now we come to a kind of entitlement that, that Jacob makes a big mistake. Jacob develops an entitlement mentality at this point. He's been blessed. He's been given great things. Things that he didn't deserve. He didn't deserve to get the blessing from Isaac. He didn't deserve the inheritance, which he's ostensibly going to get right, because of the blessing. He didn't deserve to get Rachel. But he got her. A bunch of other kids and wives too. He didn't deserve all the property. He got it. God is blessing. And he knows it. He said, God has blessed me wherever I've gone. God has been with me. But now, I think in his mind, he starts to think, gee, I've been through such a rough time. I need a little R&R. &R. I need a little break. So, I know God met me in Bethel. And when I made an agreement with him at Bethel when I was running away, I said, if you bring me back to my father's house, well, he's down in Hebron, but, you know, Shechem's a lot closer, and it's a swinging town, and I just need, I want, to, I want a summer home there. Right? I want my summer property. I want my vacation home to be near Shechem. And so he buys property outside of Shechem. And he's going to settle down there for a while, and we know the trouble he got into there. He feels entitled to live wherever he wants. 
to live. I've been through so much, Lord, you owe me this much, in other words. And it gets him into trouble. Eventually, after the Dinah incident, God meets with him and says, look, go to Bethel, build an altar to me there, and settle there. Then we find him, he goes to Bethel, he builds the altar, he gets rid of the shrines and things, and, but he doesn't settle there. He moves on again. He still hasn't got this entitlement out of his system. I can live where I want. Eventually, he ends up down where dad's living down in Hebron. And we find him there, and Isaac dies, and they bury him. And, but he's still in Hebron. How do we know? Because in the beginning of this chapter, right, he sends Joseph away to go find his brothers from Hebron. He's not living in Bethel. He still has this entitlement thing going on, which is inappropriate. After all that God has done for him. And now, what's his other entitlement? What am I entitled to now? I'm an old man, my favorite wife is dead, and I've got this one son that I love to death. I just want to grow old and enjoy my favorite son. That's all. All these other kids, you know, I didn't want them in the first place, Lord. They, they, it was kind of a raw deal that I'm even stuck with all these other kids and these wives and things. I just wanted Rachel, a couple of kids, small farm someplace, a few sheep. And he's got all these responsibilities. And he doesn't want them. It's clear he doesn't want them. Didn't care about Dinah and the situation there. All he cared about was that it ruined his vacation. Right? The Dinah incident ruined his vacation. His R&R was screwed up. And now he's got his one son, and he makes the coat and gives it to the coat. And everybody knows this is his favorite son, and the other brothers are getting angry with all of that. And you wonder, you say, Jacob, you used to be the unloved son. You used to be the one who was not daddy's favorite. Don't you remember the anguish that this caused in your own life? But he feels entitled to just be able to dote on Joseph and Benjamin. And it creates problems. The older brothers are not happy. And he's getting on in age, and the same thing happens that, that happens to all you know, families in this period of time. Who's going to inherit the property when daddy's gone? Reuben's the firstborn. It's his by right. So Reuben has an entitlement mentality too, just like daddy does. He's inherited that from dad, has an entitlement mentality. I deserve this, this headship of the family. It's mine. But it sure isn't looking like it's going to come my way. I know the story about what happened with Dad and Esau and Isaac. They, they tell it around the campfire all the time, right? I know this story. The youngest son got it, not the oldest. Well, I'm the oldest, and I want it. You know, maybe Esau didn't want it. I want it. It should be mine. But then there's these dreams that Joseph has. They're very disturbing for an older brother trying to inherit the property. Very disturbing dreams. So, Reuben's also a planner. But at this point, I'm going to say he's a schemer. He's going to make a power play for the headship of the family before it's time. Before it's time. Before dad has passed away, 
I'm going to make my play and make, lay my claim to the headship of the family. And I'm going to do it by sleeping with Bilhah. Sleeping with dad's concubine is a claim to the headship of the family. You can read about that. David, at the end of his reign, happens with Adonijah and Abishag. You can read that at the end of David's reign. Same kind of a thing happens. So Reuben's a planner, schemer, planner slash schemer. Right? This one's tough because it really is kind of his by right, the, the, the headship of the family. He's the oldest. But he does it in a way that's totally improper, absolutely improper. So his scheming plays out. Jacob finds out about it. Now, now dad knows what I did. Okay. Now, Dad and Reuben have this breach, right? I think there would be a breach between any father and son where this kind of thing happened. It would be a little tough, right? Around the dinner table, it's going to be tough, right? It's going to be tense. It's going to be tense. So they take the flocks, and they take the flocks, and they say, let's get as far away from Dad as we possibly can, right? You look on a map, Hebron's down south, Shechem's up north, Dothan's even further north, right? Why they went to Shechem, I'll never know. I mean, it was, they had killed everybody, and all the men anyway. They killed all the men in Shechem. Right? They go back there. Dothan's on the trade routes coming down uh, along the coast to go to Egypt, so there's a lot of action going on in Dothan. Right? It's a trades town and probably a lot of fun going on there. And so Reuben said, we've we got to get out of town. I've got to get away from this tension. That, that exists between dad and I. And it seems that Reuben is starting to have some second thoughts about his plan and his implementation of the plan to get the, get the inheritance. Because when Joseph comes along and the brothers say, let's kill him. Let's get rid of this guy. We're 70 miles from home. We can make up any story we want. We can just say an animal ate him and dad would have to believe it. No problem. We'll never get caught. And Reuben steps up to the plate and does a noble thing. Says, don't do it. Don't kill him. Throw him in the pit. And secretly in the back of his mind, he's thinking, I'll come get him out of the pit and take him back home to dad. Now, that's, a, that's an example of good leadership. And, and Reuben seems to have some leadership capacity because the brothers listen to him. They do look up to him as the oldest, as the leader, And so they don't kill Joseph, they throw him in the pit, and Reuben seems to have kind of come to his senses, you know, and maybe he's thinking, I can heal this breach between dad and myself by saving his favorite son, right? It's going it's to certainly elevate me in dad's eyes, make me look a lot better than I do at the moment, whereas the Bible would say I've become a stench in his nostrils. So... The next part of the story is a little strange. They sell Joseph instead of killing him. That's good. It's better than killing him. But where is Reuben? He's, he's absent from this whole idea of the Ishmaelite. He's not there, apparently, because he's surprised later when he comes back and finds Joseph gone. Where'd he go? He's not in the pit anymore. Now what am I going to do? My plan to reconcile with Dad is, is going. Now what am I going to do? My first question, where did you go? You've got these, you've got these brothers who want to kill 
Joseph and you leave him there with them when you go do something else? What, what in the world could be so important that you had to go away for a while? Just poor judgment on Reuben's part. Right? He should have camped out at the top of that pit and made sure that Joseph was safe, if that was his desire. So he has, a, he has a flash of good leadership and wisdom when saving Joseph, but then it all falters and he kind of you know, makes a real bad decision and leaves for some reason. Comes back later, finds out what's happened. Joseph's gone. Ishmaelites took him away. Look at this. we got 20 shekels of silver. That's great. Let's go to town and have a good time. And, and Reuben, again, drops the ball. Reuben at that point becomes like that private in the tent in, in, in the movie Patton. He can't, he can't take this, this turn of events that goes against what he wants to have happen. He had a great plan in mind, but when it goes awry, he falls apart. He, he, he gets totally deflated. And any leadership he had shown prior to that seems to disappear. Because all he can say is, now where am I going to go? I mean, where are you going to go? You're going to go home, I guess. I don't know. Maybe you should go and get Joseph. Maybe you should chase the Ishmaelites and get them. He can't, he can't be far away. right? He can't be that far away. You certainly have enough sheep around. You could trade sheep, barter with them, give them back their 20 shekels of silver and throw in a couple of sheep and get Joseph back. If you really want to do something, go do it. right? Be a man. Go save your little brother. That's what a leader would do. It's probably what Jacob would do. Jacob was a man of action. Reuben starts action, but when it goes bad, he gets deflated. And he doesn't follow through. He's not the same man of perseverance that Jacob is. Good intentions, some good ideas, starts to execute well, but then just loses steam. And instead of saving Joseph, chasing the Ishmaelites halfway to Egypt to get his brother back, he falls in with his other brothers and they decide to do what they had suggested in the first place. We'll just, we'll just say a wild animal killed him. And he just goes along with it. He just becomes part of the treachery. Now, maybe, maybe, you don't know, maybe in the back of his mind he's saying, well, this solves a certain problem that I've been having. The problem of Joseph inheriting the property. He's gone. Now dad will have to give it to me. Maybe. It's not clear in the passage. Okay, so Reuben has some characteristics of Jacob. He's hardworking. I mean, they're out in the fields every day all the time with the sheep. He used to be a hardworking young buck. He seems to take the inheritance seriously, which was Esau's flaw. Jacob valued the inheritance and the blessing. Reuben seems to as well. That's, a, that's all good stuff. But he doesn't follow through. He doesn't follow through. And he also has a sense of entitlement to things. Now let's go to Joseph. Let's talk about Joseph. Got to be brief because he's not long in the story. He's the center of the story in one sense, but he doesn't say a lot, doesn't do a lot. But if we look a little bit forward in time, we know the story of Joseph. Joseph 
If anybody had a right to feel entitled, Joseph did. He had a revelation from God in two dreams that said, you're going to be big man on campus someday, and your family is going to bow down to you. If anybody had the right to feel entitled to something from God, Joseph did. But we don't see any evidence of that in Joseph. Joseph goes down to Egypt, becomes a slave. And what does he do as a slave? Instead of getting despairing and becoming like Reuben and just kind of washed up and kind of a whipped puppy, he serves to the best of his ability and rises in the ranks to become the head of a large household. And if he had, again, if he had, any, if anybody had the right to feel entitled to the master's wife, it was Joseph. After all, he wasn't taking care of all the business affairs for his master. He made sure the money was still rolling in. He made sure the prosperity was still being realized by his master. And the wife wanted him. So that made it okay. If anybody could have felt entitled to a little, a little fooling around on the side, Joseph could have felt entitled to it, but he didn't. He didn't give in to that sense of entitlement. He stayed faithful to what he had learned about God's law, and he was not willing to compromise that. And it, 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 it caused him trouble. He ends up getting thrown in prison. Another, another rung lower on the ladder. Now he's at the bottom of the social structure. And what do we find him doing? Despairing? Does he, does, he, does he despair? Does he become angry and shake his fist at God and say, I deserve better. You promised me that I would be great someday. You get none of that in the story. Instead, we see Joseph doing what he always does. He serves. He finds a way to serve where he is. And he expects absolutely nothing from it. He just serves. He's already at the lowest point in the society, slave in prison. And he seems, the dreams he still has to remember, but he doesn't, he doesn't shake his fist at God and say, you owe me, you told me. He just wait. He's a patient man. Now he inherited that from his father. His father was also a patient man. He worked seven years for one woman and then another seven because you didn't get her the first. He's a patient man, right? So he inherits his patience from his father. But he doesn't develop the entitlement mentality. And in the end... God fulfills the dream, makes him great, and he saves his entire family, even after the treachery, and then he forgives the treachery. Final comment, Joseph is one of the best Christ figures in the Scripture. Christ came to serve, to serve his brothers and his sisters, and they rejected him, and there was treachery. He was sold for 30 shekels of silver. And he was nailed to a cross, and he died to bring salvation to the same people who were treacherous to him. And he trusted God to bring it about he put himself in his father's hands. In the garden, he says, not my will, but yours be done. He didn't have an entitlement mentality, Jesus. No entitlement. If anybody could be entitled, it was the Son of God, right? No, just do the work. See it through. 
persevere. Go to the end. Don't give up. Don't be like Reuben, who when things got hot, folded. Persevere to the end. Christ calls us to do the same. In faith, we persevere. Because we believe that God has good things for us. We have more than the dreams that Joseph had. We have a whole revelation that tells us about what God has intended for those who believe. But our faith in that final end, be careful that you don't develop an entitlement mentality. God, you owe me. I've been faithful. I've done all the things you wanted. I deserve better than this. Those are the thoughts that got Jacob in trouble and Reuben in trouble. And not developing those thoughts are the greatest signs of Joseph's faithfulness and trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. I pray that these things would be uh, encouragements to us to do, um, to do things that are pleasing in your sight, to not feel entitled, but to trust you with the outcome of all our service. May we work diligently and hard and leave those outcomes in your hands, for we trust you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.